I'm glad you're here this morning, and we're going to be in uh, 1 Corinthians 12 today. Um, and we're going to start uh, discuss, discussing uh, what Paul writes to the Corinthian people about spiritual gifts and the evidence of salvation through those spiritual gifts. I want to ask a question real quickly before I read, though. Um, have you, how many of you have ever been in a situation or a position like I have where I've said, I don't know what my spiritual gift is. I want to know what it is. Please help me find what my spiritual gift is. Everybody? I'm the only one? Okay, well, I feel, I don't know, special or left out, one of the two. (laughs) And I don't know about you, but the reason why I ask that question is because in my own experience, what I've come to realize is my motive is behind knowing what my spiritual gift is um, is to take the credit, you know, because I want to I want to be defined as a contributing uh, purpose or contributing function in the church, um, and I want to know what that is so that I can I can take you know some of the the glory for that. And so Paul doesn't describe the spiritual gifts that are given in that way. And so we're going to unpack that a little bit this, uh, this week and probably next week as well. Um, but we're going to go ahead and we'll open with prayer. And I'm going to start by reading verses 1 through 7. Lord Jesus, I thank you for today. I thank you for your blessings today. And I just thank you for your truth. Um, Lord, and I pray that, um, Lord, that we're able to read what your word says today and put it into practice this week. Um, and Lord, just to continue to exercise Matthew 6.33, in our lives to seek you and your kingdom and your righteousness. Uh, And Lord, I just praise you and I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So starting in in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 12, he says, Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. And so when he he starts out in this passage, you were influenced and led led astray by mute idols. We already know this by 1 Corinthians chapter 8, um, the first nine verses or so, um, when he's describing one of the questions that have come up in the letter that they're arguing about when Paul receives this letter. And so he's ta- he says, now about food sacrifice to idols, we know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know, but whoever loves God is known by God. So then about eating food sacrificed to idols, we know 
that an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things come and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. But not everyone possesses knowledge. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a god, and since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. But food does not bring us near to God. We're no worse if we do not eat, and we're no better if we do. So be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. And so in chapter 12, he makes this reference of being influenced and led astray by these idols that they're already struggling with. And so in verse 3, Paul is giving us another warning of the presence of false teachers When we read, therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord. Um, The pagan background out of which they had come and were still coming out of uh, made it very difficult to recognize the presence of the false prophets that are there. And so... um, Paul helps, he he lays down a simple test that's related to the person of Christ that still applies today. So the false teachers of Corinth claim that their visions um, and their their revelations and their messages were from God. And and today we we hear things like uh, people will often make claims to their experiences or to their feelings or different events that have taken place in their life. And so if we were to present that today as saying, okay, I had this vision of God and, you know, this, this experience that I had, um, we will use that word experience rather than visions because I don't know about you, but when I hear somebody say something like, I had a vision, my first question in my mind is, what were you taking? Uh, you know, so there's not a whole lot of credibility, but, but if somebody says my experience has been this and they and they begin to lay out uh, uh, something that's happened to them sometimes we're we're more attentive to that and so one you know one individual that i've had a conversation with before talks about his his salvation experience and the way that that this happened and i and i don't discredit that it that it happened this way but this person puts so much ex- uh so much stock in the experience more than the word of god that he presents his experience as his salvation rather than i read the scripture and the scripture convicted me of my sin and i understand today that jesus died for me and was raised and and so on and so he doesn't give that he gives i was driving down the road one day and this vision appeared on my windshield and it was me looking back at me and myself was talking to me and telling me these things and I'm going, okay. Uh, and and I, right then, after, after he, this man shares this experience, I start asking questions about the Scripture. Um, how did God impact your life? What passages of Scripture did God use to help you understand what salvation really is? 
well, I didn't use the scripture. He, he did it to me this way. Um, and, and so Paul it teaches us in, um, I'm kind of getting off subject here, but it's, it's to help identify how we know who false teachers are. Paul is putting this simple test to the people in Corinth out there to help them understand how to identify a false teacher in Corinth in that day. Yes? I would say yes. If, if there's no scripture that supports the experience that he had, I would say that that experience is demonic. Now, I wouldn't say you are absolutely not saved. Uh, I would say that it, if the evidence of salvation is proof of salvation. So in other words, Paul's going to tell us in a little while here that the evidence of salvation is watching somebody serve Jesus Christ while serving somebody else and doing it without asking for recognition and doing it without asking for God's glory or putting yourself in a position to where you can be seen for the purpose of self-glorification. Yeah. He does. Yeah, and, th and that's very important because uh, um, last night as I was studying uh, for something else, I, I started <laughs> writing down, um, I, I ju just at the top of the piece of paper I was writing, I jotted down that um, we have forgotten about the, in, in quotes, the one another's in our church. So in other words, when I see somebody serving another person and they're doing it going, I don't want any credit for this. I want God to get all the glory. That, to me, is, is evidence of the spiritual gift that the Spirit has dispensed that is working inside that person. And, and I'm convinced that Paul, can he, you know, Paul even says that he was, uh, he was confused by some or, or fooled by some because, you know, we read about Demas later in Paul's life and he says that he's left because he loved the world. Um, and we also read on the opposite end of that spectrum, you know, Mark leaves Paul early in his ministry and Paul says, you know what, I don't have any use for you because you're not reliable. And later on in Paul's life, Paul calls for John Mark to come and help him because John Mark has now matured and he's grown um, and he's been discipled. And so, you know, people naturally grow. You know, as people grow, I think it's important to be discipled by another person and with another person so that, um, so that things like that are clear. So, um, yeah. Right. And that's right. 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 So the reference to the word Lord there is is the Hebrew word Yahweh. So it's not curious um, in the first sentence. They're acknowledging him as, as Yahweh and then 
only when you say by the Holy Spirit. So in other words, only when you are indwelled by the Holy Spirit can you say he is my curios. He is my Lord. And when you do say that, there's evidence. And the evidence is so overwhelming that it's visible and it's unmistakable. And so that's, that's the, the picture that he's giving here. Um, so in verses 4 through 6, when we look at these next verses, four verse, or three verses here, um, or actually, first of all, in verse 3, uh, I think there's an important um, identity of Jesus here. He says, therefore, I want you to know no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There's an identity of the triune God in that one verse. He said, there's God the Father. He says, there's Jesus, there's God the Son, and there's hope the Holy Spirit, and they all work together. And then he says it again in verses 4 through 6. He says, there's different kind of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. So where do the gifts of the Spirit who dispenses those? The Spirit. So the Holy Spirit, once it lives inside of you, it comes in and it gives the gift of the Spirit to each individual. Um, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord, Kurios, if I'm saying it right. Jesus Christ, Master, Savior. Um, there are different kinds of working, but in all of them, and in everyone, it is the same God at work. And so in reverse order of verse 3, he gives these, the, the triune God again. Paul stresses the unity of the Godhead in relation to the different spiritual gifts. The Holy Spirit gives a diversity of gifts so that the individuals can serve the Lord in his body, which is the church, in various ways, and all are empowered by God and exercised under his backing, protection, and support. So God gives his endorsement on the spiritual gift that is given and dispensed to us through the Holy Spirit as we seek to serve Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And when we seek to serve Jesus Christ, the Son of God, we do it in a way as serving the body of believers as we serve Christ. And so, um, looking at a couple of other verses that pertain to this, this practice, if we look at it, Romans 12, in verses 3 through 13, He says, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each one of us has one, uh, has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. 
If it's giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Uh, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil and cling to what is good and be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another, another above yourselves and never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need and practice hospitality. And so as I read through these passages of Scripture, the time that I was asking what's my spiritual gift, I was looking at it as saying, what do I get from God? And Paul gives us the directive that when we receive a spiritual gift, if we're following Christ and learning to follow Christ um, as, as he is teaching us, what we do is we receive the Holy Spirit, and once we understand what we've received from God, we start looking at ground and go, what can I do for them? What can I do to... And, and I know that every person who has the Spirit in them at some point has looked around inside the body of believers and said, there's a need. I can, you know what? I should just go and do that. I should go and help them. And so in Acts, I think it's Acts 2, when, uh, Acts 6, excuse me. Acts 6, when people need to be served, when people are going hungry because there are no people to serve, we're going to look at that passage in a little while later, there's a purpose in appointing people to serve the people who are not getting fed so that the apostles can devote themselves to the teaching of the gospel and the spreading of the, of the word. So I've been in churches myself before as well in the past where the church body is convinced that the pastor is paid to make sure that the church gets cleaned, the yard gets mowed, and this and this and this and this. Okay, pastor, we're hiring you. Well, <laughs> I don't know if any of you have had that that kind of um, church body or if you've been in that kind of situation before, uh, but it's a very blurry picture of what Christianity is, you know, and, and I'm, I, I feel like it's a privilege to serve in the church that I serve in because I see so many people that do want to engage, and I, and I also see areas of need as well that God is preparing people to step into, and so, and that's the description that Paul is giving to to bring people together in serving the Lord in, in so that all of the work gets done. Yes? Yes. Yes, yes. Um, and speaking of that, let's look at Ephesians 4. We're going to look at 11 through 13. Right. 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 
So if we read then uh, 11 through 13 says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And then so in the next couple of verses, um, this, he describes the goal of the church as a whole, and he says, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And so I can remember that there was a point in my, in my life where I wanted to be a prosthetic. I wanted to be detachable. <laughs> okay, you can put me on, I can be used for a little while. Okay, I'm done. Take, <laughs> just take me off, you know, and <laughs> lay me aside. I mean, that's kind of a, maybe a poor picture, but that was my attitude. Um, when, when the time in my life where serving was an option in my life, rather than a choice that I could not forsake, um, that, that's just the way it was. That was the truth about my own life. And so um, he's, he's describing, as he's describing these parts of the body that come together, these are permanent fixtures. And when the Spirit is in us, we view ourselves as permanent fixtures, as not, not to give ourselves or pat ourselves on the, on the back, but irreplaceable. Because God has given a specific purpose to each one of us to fulfill the body and to complete the body, to work together, that nobody else has been given that gift to do. And so when that part is missing uh, or absent, that's, that's, it makes things difficult uh, as far as the... Um, as far as the order of how things are done, as far as serving one another, um, and that kind of thing. So he's giving that as instruction. So the, in, back in 1 Corinthians 12, um, the Greek word that he uses for service in this passage uh, let's see, in verse... Verse 5, he says, there is different kinds of service, but the same Lord. Um, the Greek word for service in its various forms is used to indicate service to the Christian community. And it's also the word used in the early church for the office of a deacon. And so the word deacon actually comes from the word server in, in the Greek language. So Paul uses this word specifically in Philippians 1.1. 1, 1. Philippians chapter 1, verse, the first verse in Philippians. And I like, or, or I find it very interesting how he, how he words it here. He says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all of God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, 
together with the overseers and deacons. Um, the word here is, is used in the context that the overseers and the deacons work together side by side. That doesn't necessarily mean that everywhere that there is an overseer, there's a deacon with them specifically, you know, as far as in presence uh, or vice versa. But what it does mean is that the deacon always operates in unity and under the authority of the overseer and speaks on their behalf, serves the pastors, the elders. Um, so the deacon is acting under what they know to be true about the scripture that's been taught by the elders, by the overseers, um, and has been proven. Uh, it's been proven true. So um, <clears throat> as I teach, I teach under the authority and the instruction of my overseers, which would be Wayne and Jim, and the same when Wayne teaches on Wednesday night. He's under the overseer of Jim and myself as we teach and instruct and any of the Sunday school teachers and things like that. Um, doesn't mean that everything we say is absolute, but it does mean that we search after the scripture and if the scripture says it, that's what we do. And, and the people who teach operate under the authority of the scripture through the overseers. Does that make sense? Did I confuse you more? Okay. <laughs> So he, what he's doing is he's still keeping in establishment with the order of how the gospel message comes uh, to the body of believers from Jesus Christ through the, the, the teachers. Yes. And that's a very important uh, principle to, to maintain is accountability. He said, say it again. Right. Right. <laughs> And that's and that's true. And yeah. Right. 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 And I think that's important as well. Um, and and, and that's, that's what I've been just so blessed to see in this study that we're doing in the afternoon is I've, I've listened and observed as people have said, you know what, I don't know what to do about this or how to, to present this or say that. Or, so I'm going to go to another person who, who can help me. And, and that to me has just been such an encouragement to, to be able to look around and say, you know what, this person could really help me with this. Uh, and, and going and engaging with another person to make sure that what we're saying uh, and interpreting about the Scripture is accurate, is true. And so, um, you know, I, I like the way Paul, when, when, he, when he's in uh, Acts 16, I think it is, or 17, one of those two, you know, he's talking about the Bereans, and he says, they're more noble than anybody else. Why? Because they questioned me. They went to the scripture and they wanted to make sure that what I was saying was true. So they went to the scripture and then they came back and they were asking questions, you know. And so um, that's, I think that's an important part of a functional living uh, body of believers. Yes.
the Jewish word, yeah. Right. 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 Right, right. And so with that being said, each one of us are naturally drawn, you know, to, sometimes naturally drawn to one or another, but that doesn't make that person, uh, you know, a, a supreme authority over the whole body. So um, let's go to Acts 6. I, m- I mentioned this chapter uh, earlier, verses 1 through 4. Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, he says, In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom and we will turn this responsibility over to them and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word so immediately in the early church there's a need for more workers for more people to do the things that need to be done for the gospel message to go forward and so they they immediately as well want to fill that need to make sure that the gospel message is not hindered and so Stephen we know that Stephen is one of those chosen and before the chapter is over he's full of the spirit he's got the glow of, of the Holy Spirit on him and he's arrested and so one of the prerequisites that is required for them to serve and wait tables is that they need to be full of the Spirit and that it's not waiting tables that gets him arrested. It's because he's waiting tables and he's sharing the love of Jesus Christ with people. And they go, and and there are uh, people from the Sanhedrin or Pharisees or whoever it is that are around going, oh, I don't like that. And so he's, within a short period of time, after he steps into a position just serving people, He's arrested for what he believes in, for what he's uh, doing. And he's a waiter. And before the end of the day, when he's arrested, he's preaching to the highest people in religion of his day. You, you might. You probably would. Well, unless you were at Chick-fil-A. <laughs> Chick-fil-A, you might be able to get away with it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I mean, the, uh, the, the clear evidence, again, even Peter, when he's talking about choosing these men, the clear evidence needs to be uh, a person who is filled with the Spirit, who is walking with the Spirit and ready to exercise the gifts that God has given to them to do the jobs that need to be accomplished. So back in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 
he describes there are different kinds of working in verse 6, but all of them in the, uh, and in everyone is the same God at work. He says it's the power that is in operation that produces obvious visible results. So if, if we're serving in a church, if we're working in a church, um, if we're serving one another and we're serving Christ, it's not that we want it for our own glory and our own sake to, um, for it to be visible to other people, but that will happen. That will be the byproduct of serving Christ and serving other people. People will see that and they'll notice and they'll recognize. So uh, I think Nico called me last night and, and, and we were talking about what if a guest comes in here um, that has a tremendous weight or a tremendous struggle on them, how do we get to that? The very simple answer to that question that I was giving him is when that person walks in, they should be able to see people who love each other and are serving one another and go, that's what I'm missing. That's what I need in my life. And so in, within that arena, any, I'm, I'm convinced that Everybody in this room probably um, has someone, at least one uh, man or woman or even couple or even a group of people that are close enough to each other that I don't always have to walk up to somebody and say, how are you doing today? Because I've already talked to you yesterday and I already know what your struggle is by the weight that was on you or you may already know what my struggle is by... You know, you talk to me, and I don't feel uncomfortable saying, man, Sherry, it's just been a rough week. You know, pray for me. Yes. Yes. And that's the close-knit group that Paul is describing as the body of believers um, is to have people that are that close. And so, like I said, when I, when I was talking about myself being a prosthetic in the church, there were times when people would come up to me and I say, how you doing? And my response would be, oh, I'm doing pretty good. Why? Because I don't want to tell you, I don't want you to see inside. I don't trust you enough. I don't trust God enough to, to open that up and allow that to be exposed. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> yeah. You know, and so... Right, and so that's the, that's the knit together and, and the, the body parts that are at work in each other's lives, not, not just to do the work of the ministry, but also to encourage, to fill one another with courage to do what is right. Um, also, the, that's what uh, the purpose of um, people being together, to know our weaknesses, to pray for one another, to, to help us battle temptation with truth, and to walk in the Spirit. Yeah. Yeah, so if you if you take what you're just describing the the motive behind that is because there's so much hidden in their in a person's life and I'm convinced that it's it's the church's responsibility to engage in that. So one of the things that I've heard and this isn't to to bring any 
any credit to myself or to any one of us, but one of the things that I've heard in the last six months from a number of people about this body is I've never had friends this close before. I've never had teaching this deep before. I've never served with a group of people like this before. And I'm going, yes, that's what makes, you know, you, you talk about suicidal thoughts. That doesn't mean that you'll never struggle with a thought like that, but it means that you won't ever struggle it without somebody in this group noticing and going, hey, man, what's going on? And, and so even though those things may still come up or the, or the struggles, the anxieties of life may come up, I joke about being over at Larry and Tina's all the time, you know. So, you know, uh, can I just get a room and move in over here, you know? Um, I, sometimes I, I look at them and I say, you know what, if you want me to go home, it's okay. Just tell me, Dave, leave us alone for a little while and get out of here. You know, um, but I spend so much time over there that <laughs> there's been times when Larry and I have had conversations about things that I've just observed that have been going on. And, and he's been able to speak things into me because I've been there so much. And he's just observed things. I'm like, wow, you know what? We, I could never have someone do that with me um, without being in, in each other's lives so much. And so, you know, so, so I don't look at that and say, you know, I wish I could have my space. I look at that and say, man, if I didn't have that with somebody, and it's been at different people at different times in my life, you know, it's not always, you know, there's been times I went over to Brian's house one day a week and we'd stand there and talk for an hour and <laughs> or two hours sometimes and I'd go back to work and I'd be like, man, I feel so refreshed. It just encouraged me so much because of the things that he's passionate about, you know. And then, you know, the Lord brings me into someone else's life or brings someone else into my life and, and that, that, that kind of thing just kind of keeps on going and it's just a living organism uh, that continues to grow. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. Absolutely. Right. Well, see, that right there, that attitude, just like what you said, is let's get a quick solution to your problem so that we can move on. And so I agree with what you're saying. But and in order for me to, uh, to really minister to a, to a person that is dealing with that struggle, I have to be patient and willing to listen. I have to be patient and willing to hear what they're saying and then go into the scripture and invite them to, to read what God says about the value of their life. And it's, gonna, it's probably going to take a lot longer than what, one, what most of us are willing to invest. And so with that being said, I, I'm convinced that a big part of the reason why uh, suicide, depression, anxieties are so high is because we're too busy to really truly invest in people's lives that way. Yes? Right. It's not love if there's no truth. Right. Yeah. 
Yes. And we want to come three quarters of the way into that. And we don't want to... Right. If you obey me, I'll set my love in you and you'll never be complete. If you are fully committed to me, things can kind of just come your way. So there is no circumstance or any moment where scripture doesn't heal you. But if we take half the day's thought and make it obedience to Christ, then there's no place for discouragement. Right. Right. And they need to have a loving person alongside them. And it just comes to the place with the truth is that if lordship is established, anxiety and depression and discouragement come. Right. So somehow, supernaturally, if I do what Jesus tells me to do, but if I just don't feel like that's what it ought to be, that's how the things that I need come into my life. Right. Right. I love you. I'm here with you. I'm going to walk through that. That's where it starts. I have to. Right. But lordship in your life, you know, no one can confess him as lord if they're walking their own path. Right. The evidence says it this way. If he's not lord of your every day, he's not lord of your present. Right. Yeah. Right, right. Right, that week that week after. Yeah. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Proceed obedience. Right. Right. You mentioned Ephesians 4. Uh, uh, I forget what verse, verse 5 I think it was. Uh, I had this in my notes as well, verses 1 through 6. Um, and this is in, the, in relationship to the different kinds of working um, that's going on. He says, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you that you live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient bearing with one another in love and make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. 
one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So that all that's listed here is the body of believers um, that he's describing. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And if he is Lord, I'm going to try. I'm going to be striving towards humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love. I'm going to be. Do, I'm going to be striving for that. I'm going to be doing those things. And to me, that list of things right there is, is probably, um, if I allow the flesh to work in me at all, those have become the most difficult things that I can possibly do in my life. Right. They're going to have to, you can't say it, but, what, but when they see it happen in your life, then it becomes appealing. Then it becomes attractive. I want that. And how that happens is, like I was saying earlier, is when I invest in a person's life and exercise humbleness, being hum, humble, being gentle, being patient. Right. 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 And in, this, in the context of Ephesians 4, he's speaking right into the body of believers so that when someone does come into our body or even when somebody sees me at home and the things that I'm doing in my home is investing in the body of believers and serving the Lord, people are attracted to that. People are drawn to that. They want to know, what is it that makes you do these things? And then the opportunity of sharing the gospel with gentleness and respect is there. And the truth can be told and the truth can be demonstrated and, and exercised in love there as well. So one more passage, uh, Philippians 2, is uh, another description of 12 and 13, verses 12 and 13. Paul says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. And so then when we get down to verse 7 in 1 Corinthians 12, he gives the purpose of the things that we're doing. He says, now to each one of you, or now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. The gifts had unity and purpose and in source. Okay? Um, the purpose behind and the source of, uh, of the gifts were the Holy Spirit. And they were not given for personal enrichment, but for the common good. Every member of the body of Christ has been given some spiritual gift that is evidence of the Spirit's working in their lives. All the gifts are intended to build up the members of the Christian community. And they're not to be used for selfish advantage, as some in the Corinthian community were doing. Um, and if we look at Peter and James both um, give some direction, we'll just look at these two verses and we'll, and we'll stop right there. But 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter 4. Verses 7 through 11. Peter's giving a call um, 
to the Jews here, he says the end of all things is near, uh, the Messianic Jews specifically. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should speak. Uh, if anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. So in James, just real quickly, James 2, and we'll look at uh, verses 8 and 9. He says, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. So we read in, in 1 Corinthians 11, we were talking about how they were coming together and they were separating themselves and there was, uh, there was disunity between the different groups of people. Um, James is describing here, don't show favoritism towards one another. Um, and then jumping down to verse 26, the last passage. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. And so there's a service aspect here as well. Um, if you read that whole chapter in James, he gives a description about, uh, about working out your salvation as well and, uh, and serving one another. And I, I feel like I'm kind of preaching to the choir a little bit, but I think we can still learn from uh, from all this, and the reason why I say that is because I, I agree with what's been said about this body, is I've never served uh, with a, another body of believers quite like this one that serve one another, uh, that are actively doing that. And um, at the same time, I continue to look for more opportunities, and it, and it really spurs me on to uh, find ways to be efficient with my time to be able to to give more to, to other people. And so I, I praise God for you, uh, and I thank you for all that each one of you do in this body. Thank you.